Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. Leading up to today, you know, I began to pray about what we'd preach about. Um, it'd been a while since we moved out of the book of Acts, and I thought it'd be kind of corny to jump right back into that anyway, and, and I started to ask the Lord what He wanted me to preach, and what did people need to hear, and the only answer I got was just preach Jesus, everything will be alright. So we're going to spend the next at least six weeks focusing on Jesus, and, and this series is going to be called Jesus Is... dot 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 Because if you think about it, you can't really sum up who Jesus is in one or two words. Jesus is so many things that, that it, we really need to spend a, a week talking about some of these different aspects of who Jesus really is. Because I know for me, I can't just say Jesus is whatever, and that's enough. He's so much more. So I hope to refocus our lives and our attention on the person of Jesus over the next six weeks, or maybe more if God leads in that direction. But when you think about this question, who is Jesus? It's so good to have Tom and Ann with us this morning, by the way. Both of them together and, and, and him being able to sit back and, and soak some stuff in and not having to get up here and, and fill my shoes. My mom and dad slipped in. It's good to have them too. But when you think about this question of who is Jesus, for some people it's, it's tougher than, than what you might think. For some people, it brings up a lot of different emotions and a lot of different ideas. And I want to illustrate this point with a video this morning. Uh, Jerry could cue that up for us. Uh, and I want you to, as you watch this video, just pay attention to some of the responses that people give when they're asked what we think is sometimes a simple question, who is Jesus? Check this out. It's not always an easy question to answer for some people. It never has been. And I don't know where this was filmed. I know it looks like it was in a downtown in the city somewhere, but you don't have to go far outside these doors right here to get some of the same responses. People right here in our community need to desperately know who Jesus really is because they don't. And I can, I'm sure of this because if people really knew and believed who Jesus really was, they you couldn't get inside this building this morning. You can get into any church. People would be fighting to come in and worship Him if they really knew and believed who He actually was. So we've got some work to do. But uh, this week we're going to focus on Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my friend. And He's not just your typical friend, as we'll see. You know, Based on some of those answers, Jesus is so much more than just the good stuff or the positive stuff that's out there. He's so much more than a myth or a legend that somebody wrote about a long time ago. As Josh McDowell said, he's so much more than a carpenter. He's so much more than just a man, a prophet among other prophets. As the one guy said, yeah, Jesus is so much more than earth, wind, and fire, and all the spiritual good stuff that's out there. In our Christian subculture, we like to, and I blame Christians for this too, we like to put a lot of different labels on Jesus, don't we? Some of the single ladies 
they like to say, well, I don't have a boyfriend, so Jesus is going to be my BF. No, 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 no. Or we say Jesus is my BFF, bestie friends forever. We wear little bracelets that says WWJD, and we ask people, well, what would Jesus do? And then we throw out an answer that really is not what Jesus would do, but it really just matches our own agenda. Jesus is so much more than this. And Jesus brings a friendship to the table that's so much more than what we think about when we, think of, when we sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So what kind of friend is he? Fortunately, Jesus gives us a lot of examples throughout the Gospels. I want to look first at Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. I think this is so telling about the friend that Jesus is. And the first thing we realize this morning is that Jesus is first and foremost a friend of sinners. I thought somebody would get excited about that. that. That really pumped me up. To know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Matthew writes, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by our deeds. This verse should do two things. It's your first... Uh, excite us that Jesus is a friend of people like us, but it also should kind of hit us in the gut and remind us that Jesus befriended the type of people that we often shun. He associated himself with people that we typically would not associate with. I want you to notice this word friend because this is going to kind of be our theme this morning. The word friend that's used here to say that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners comes from a Greek word, get this, philos. I know you'll never remember that after today, and it's okay, but you just need to know what it means. It means friend or associate or neighbor. It indicates a brotherly type of love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia for the city of brotherly love. Jesus was a philos, a brother and a close friend to sinners like you and me, people that didn't deserve to have his friendship. That's the kind of friend that he was. But Jesus had a lot of friends, so I want to just bear that in mind. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but let's look at another story this morning, and we're going to spend most of our time looking at this particular story in John chapter 11. It's a familiar story that most of us have heard before. But in John chapter 11, Jesus is hiding out with his disciples on the opposite side of the Jordan River after escaping a near stoning they escaped and got away with their lives, and they're hanging out on the other side of the river. And he finds out that this man by the name of Lazarus is sick, and people are afraid that he's so sick that he's about to die. And so Jesus uh, tells his disciples, he says, we've got to go back to Judea and see Lazarus because he's sick. And his disciples are like, no, don't you remember what just happened? You almost got killed over there. We can't go back. And Jesus is like, this is our friend Lazarus. He's the brother of Mary and of Martha. Mary, the one that anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his dirty feet with her hair. This is their brother. And so they go back and forth, and, and they don't like the idea, but then they do agree to go with him. And this takes us to John chapter 11, verse 11. And we're going to work our way through this story. John eleven eleven says, After he had said this, he went on to tell them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And that's what we do when we get sick, right? We sleep and we get better. They just, they don't get it. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I love this. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, either Thomas is being sarcastic here or he's just really passionate and willing to follow Jesus to the death. I'm not sure which one. I think a little bit of sarcasm. But anyway, they head out after this, and they go back to Bethany. In verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Think about that. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Mary was devastated. She'd lost her brother. She's the one that had made herself vulnerable before Jesus, anointing his feet, shamed for what she had done. And now she probably feels a little bit betrayed, that her friendship had been betrayed. And her attitude is beginning to spill over into her sister Martha. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You know, when I, when I read through this, and I read through what Martha was saying, that I think was stuff that she had heard from her sister Mary already, it sounds just like us sometimes, doesn't it? God, if only fill in the blank. Why would you let this happen, God? Haven't I been a good Christian? Why would you take so-and-so? Why would you let this happen to so-and-so? In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. But she still doesn't get it. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he turns the question around on Martha and he says, Do you believe this? In verse 27, Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she'd said this, I guess she got her confidence up in who Jesus was. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Those words stood out to me. Because as I read some of these stories in the Bible, I try to put myself in these characters' shoes. Think about hearing those words. The Lord is here. 
Mary. And he's asking for you. God in the flesh is standing here. And he's asking for you. He wants to see you. That's true for some of us this morning. Notice Mary's response in verse 29. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her like good friends, Notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Boy, were they in for a surprise. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Finally, her emotions simply can't be contained anymore. And they began to spill over. Once Mary cast perfume at the feet of Jesus, and now she's casting blame at his feet. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35 simply says, Jesus wept. The Son of God broke down. And John has no better way to describe this scene than just simply say, Jesus wept. Like a true friend, Jesus mourned with and for his friends. When you look at this, you've got you've to just begin to process and realize that God does not take pleasure in your pain. I know a lot of times we try to blame God for some of the things that we go through, and it's natural for us to question God. You know, you read through the Psalms and some of these great men like David, they question what was going on. God, why? How long will you allow me to mourn? But God does not take pleasure in your pain. In Psalms chapter 56, the psalmist tells us that God himself gathers our tears and he puts them in a bottle. Now you think about that for a minute. That means that during our darkest hour, that God himself is never more than an eyelash away, gathering our tears. And we see this displayed here as Jesus mourns with his friends. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. The word here for love is is that phileo type love, this friendship, this brotherly love. Loved him like a dear friend. But what kind of friend is going to allow their friend to die when they could have prevented it in the first place? Verse 37, but some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, I think he knew their hearts. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been, he's been there four days. <laughs> this is almost getting comical. Here Martha is asked, she's condemned Jesus for not being there four days earlier. She's told him if he had been there that, that, that Lazarus wouldn't have died in the first place, but she knows that God will give him whatever he wants. And then when Jesus goes to remove the, the stone, she says, well, wait a minute. You know he's going to stink, right? Have you ever asked God for something, and then when God begins to move you towards that, you're like, hold on, wait a minute, God. This is going to stink a little bit. God, I want you to make me a better Christian. I want you to take me out of my comfort zone. But then when we get there, we're like, wait a minute, God. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Increase in my life. But don't let me decrease. Verse 40. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. I I don't even think they could say anything to that. Jesus just drops the mic. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus raised his friend back to life. But look at all the days, four days worth of weeping and mourning, four days of the pain of of loss, four days of fear of what the future was going to look like with our brother Lazarus dead, four days of the sting that death brought. What kind of friend would allow such a thing? What kind of friend is Jesus, really? We often act like we're such good friends with Jesus. We play the part in our Christian subculture a lot of times. But when things get really questionable and iffy, what do we do? We go back to the same old sayings. Lord, if only yada, yada, yada. God, if only you'd showed up in time. If only you'd been here, what kind of friend are you, Jesus? And our faith gets pressed a little bit from time to time. You see, I think that we forget far too often that in order to be filled, you've got to feel empty sometimes. That in order to be mended, you have to be broken on occasion. That you have to be lonely in order to be held. That you have to be afraid in order to be comforted by someone. That you have to be abandoned in order to be rescued. That simply you have to be dead if you're going to be raised back to life and be resurrected. And Jesus is the kind of friend that not only will allow you to go through such times and such things in life, but He's the friend that has already gone through them before. 
And he's the kind of friend that will go through them once more with you. And on the other side of whatever it is, he's going to be the friend that's going to pull you out and be there with you. That's the kind of friend that we have in Jesus. And when we come to that moment, when we blast him for all that he is and all that he's done, and we say, Lord, if only you'd been here and you'd done this and done that, he's still the one that's going to bring the dead back to life. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend that's always with us. But there's one more thing that I want you to see this morning. A few chapters over in John chapter 15. Jesus takes things up a notch in the conversation. Starting with verse 9, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be found in you. And your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 13. No one has greater love than this. That someone would lay down his life for what? His friends. That someone would lay down their life for their their friends. We take this verse out of context and we like to apply it to a lot of people. The soldiers and first responders and all these different people. But Jesus is talking about himself in, in John fifteen thirteen. And the love that he's talking about here, he's no longer using this, this word phileo when he talks about love. Jesus is not talking about a brotherly type of love here. He uses a different Greek word because Greek uses all these different words that we only have one word for love in English. And the Jesus uses the word agape here. It's a much deeper, more intimate type of love, a self-sacrificing type of love. And he says, love like I have loved you, self-sacrificing, that I would lay down my life for you. Jesus really gets to the heart of the type of friend that he is in this passage. The friend that laid down his life for a bunch of people that didn't deserve it. The sinners that he loved, he would lay his life down for. He would take God's punishment that is rightfully due to us upon himself. So what kind of friend is Jesus? Let me, let me use an illustration here. Imagine for a moment, just play along with me. Imagine for a moment you've got a best friend. I know for some people that's a big stretch. But imagine you've got a best friend, okay? And, and you and this best friend are really close. You, you do things together. You've been friends for a long time. You've got an incredible friendship, an incredible relationship. Your family is close. But then out of the blue, this good friend of yours betrays your friendship and does horrible things, unspeakable things to you and your family. These things are so horrendous that your friend is now in prison because of it. 
But not just in prison. Your best friend is sentenced to death row for what they've done to you personally and to your family. Think about that. Your best friend. As time goes on, you get the opportunity to go to the prison to see your friend one last time. Your former friend, I guess, at this point. And as you go into the prison, you're, you're escorted down the hallways and, and the guard takes you past all these other cells and you finally make it to death row. And as you're escorted past these cells with people awaiting their execution, you finally come to the door of the person that has ruined your life. And the guard unlocks the door and simply turns his back. Now you have the opportunity here to say or do whatever you'd like. And if you enacted vengeance, no one could blame you after what this person has put you through. So you open the cell door, and there stands this person that has done this to you. All you can do is look them in the face and say, I forgive you. And you take them by the hand, and you take them out of the cell, and say you're free to go. That would be mercy. But you don't stop there. You take a step into their cell, close the door behind you, and await for the execution that you're going to receive because you take their punishment upon yourself. That would be grace. And that is the kind of friend that Jesus really is. That He would not only give us a clean slate, but that He would come into our world, take on our sin and our guilt and our shame upon Himself, bear our death on a cross, (laughs) and just let us go free. As our musicians get ready this morning, in closing, I don't know which of these people in this story you relate to best. There's Martha. And maybe you're a lot like Martha this morning. You got it all figured out. You know, Martha really thinks she had it together. Martha was the one that seemed to have all the right answers. She was the one that held the family together, that took care of her sister Mary. But Jesus had to remind Martha that you're missing the point. Martha speaks of a resurrection, but she didn't realize that she was talking to the resurrection and the life. And if that's kind of you this morning, Jesus is simply asking for a deeper commitment in this walk. Maybe you're more like Mary. Mary is the one that's been blaming God for things that's beyond her control. Mary is the one that questions God's timing, that has to question God's plan for her life. Maybe you've been hurt time and time and time and time again, and you simply feel betrayed by God. This morning, Jesus is asking you for a renewed sense of trust. He wants you to know that you can trust Him. That when things get incredibly horrific, that He's never more 
that just an eyelash away. He's right there with you. But then there's Lazarus. Lazarus has the easy role here. He's just the dead guy that gets brought back to life. And maybe that's you this morning. It's safe to say in a group this size, somebody needs a little resuscitation, that somebody needs revived, somebody needs resurrected this morning. And maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come alive to God for the very first time today. And if that's you this morning, then I want you to know that God is ready and willing to begin a relationship with you, no matter where you're at, no matter how bad you think you stink after being in that grave for so long. God is ready to walk with you and to give you a new life and a new hope. Would you stand with us this morning? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for bringing us here today. I thank you, God, so much for the truth that we find in your word, the hope, God. I thank you for the friend that we have in Jesus. Lord, that you would send your son into our dark world to take on our sin and to bear our cross that we could have a relationship with you. And God, I believe that there's somebody here this morning that needs that in their life. They need a relationship with you. And God, if that is the truth today, I pray that you would speak to them right now. God, that you would just begin to work in their life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.